0: in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on PlantStock2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there.
1: I think, um, you know, frozen vegetables are great. If you need to buy chopped stuff that's already chopped, whatever's going to make it easy for you to make your plant-based meal, just go that route because basically you want to make it like if it's going to be all the deterrence that you just say you know what forget it it's too overwhelming then that's a much bigger loss
0: i'm Rip esselstyn and welcome to the plant strong podcast the mission at plant strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, my Plant Strong parsnips. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Plant Strong Podcast. As you know, our mission at Plant Strong is to make a whole food, plant based lifestyle simple, sustainable, and drop dead delicious, which is why I absolutely know you're going to love today's guest, Nisha. Melvani, aka Cooking for Peanuts on Instagram. Nisha has one of the most colorful and interesting backstories of any person I have ever encountered, with a super rich diversity of culture, language, careers, and education, all of which have melded together and influenced her life's latest chapter, author of the new book. Practically vegan, more than 100 easy, delicious vegan dinners on a budget. And that's just it. Her recipes are practical with easy-to-find ingredients that can be used for multiple meals because as a busy mom to three teenage girls living in New York City, her meals have to be simple and fast, but also delicious. And believe me, as a father to three kids myself, if the kids don't like it, they're going to say something about it fast. In fact, several of my favorite sections in her new cookbook are the sections on pasta dinners, bean and chili dinners, curry dinners, and burger and patties dinners. These are dinners that not only I I'm gonna love and adore, but I know my old firefighting buddies at Station Two would absolutely adore them. If you are new to plant strong cooking and feel overwhelmed because you think it's complicated, expensive, or maybe even boring, I want you to think again. Please welcome Nisha Melvani. Nisha, it's really great to meet you.
1: Thank you, likewise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I found you uh, or somehow we found you and you've become quite a phenomenon on, on Instagram. So, you know, congrats on that channel that you've built since like 2017.
1: Yeah. It's been a, a while, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've come a long way in in a very relatively short period of time. So, and you're doing really Phenomenal, phenomenal work. And so what I'd love to do with you today is kind of talk about your journey. You have a book that is coming out and um, how you fell in love with cooking, where this delicious accent that you have you know, mm-hmm. comes from, uh, and, uh, and just dive into a little bit of uh, Nisha Melvani. So for starters, where did you find your love of cooking.
1: So let me just tell you quickly about the accent where it's a problem is like when you have captions, like auto captions in Instagram, they cannot understand me. (laughs) So they write all what I'm saying incorrectly because my accent does represent so many places that I've lived, Jamaica, England, Montreal, New York. And so none of the captions get what I'm saying.
0: (laughs) So you were born in Jamaica
1: born all, in jamaica
0: of, of all the crazy places and you have parents of indian descent
1: yes so my dad moved migrated to jamaica in his early 20s and my mom was is born in jamaica but is also indian
0: wow and one of the things that i found fascinating i went to boarding school but i went for my last two years of high school you it looks like at the age of 7 your parents sent you to boarding school in England, right?
1: Yes. And I keep telling myself it was for uh, my benefit. (laughs) I think uh, two reasons. One, they wanted me to have a British accent. (laughs) And actually, they um, felt I would get a much better education there. And I wasn't the easiest child to raise. Uh So I think that's why it was that young. And my parents worked full time six days a week. And so there wasn't, you know, much time left to really raise me. And so I guess they knew in boarding school I'd be in good hands.
0: Well, so you said you were difficult. Like what were some of the things that made you so difficult? Because I have a very difficult seven, eight-year-old right now as well.
1: <laughs> okay, so send them my way. <laughs> um, she.
0: It's a she. she. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So um, I think uh, I broke all the rules. I just never followed rules. Like if you said not to do something, that was my challenge to, you know, just not listen to you. So um, I think a lot of it was probably lack of attention, maybe, Uh uh Uh, you know, having your parents away so much. And I was raised by, you know, my nanny in Jamaica Mm. and, you know, it was hard for her But I think, you know, and also the schools, um, our classroom size was very big. So everywhere, you know, you were kind of not being watched too closely. And so I think a lot of it stemmed from that, you know, Mm. you break rules to get attention, right?
0: And so when, I mean, at the age of seven, can you remember thinking, I don't want to go to a a to boarding school? Or were you like, okay with it?
1: So I do remember one incident. Um, I don't know if I remember it correctly, but I remember one incident of uh, probably around the time I knew um, throwing eggs at a wall. Like I don't like for some reason they seem to have happened around the same time. Um, I don't know if one was, you know, I did get into big trouble for that. Um, yeah. But I think I couldn't voice that I didn't want to go. I don't know if I really knew that as such. Um, and I remember when I, my parents took me the first trip over there and, you know, they hadn't seen the school yet. So we kind of arrived and, you know, basically they couldn't change their mind anyway, because I was enrolled, but um, I remember we had stopped at a McDonald's on the way and they had bought me a Big Mac or something like that. And I thought I wasn't going to get food. So I ate some of it and I put the rest in the larder. I think they called it like, um, you know, the, Cold pantry, I guess. And so I remember wrapping up the rest and saving it in there in case they didn't give me any food.
0: So it wasn't like Oliver, Oliver Twist, was it? The boarding school? At
1: least. <laughs> I mean, you know, the food was terrible and you had to eat it all. And if you didn't want um, to eat certain foods, you were allowed, I guess, two foods that you could be excused from eating. And your parents had to write a letter saying that you didn't have to eat those two foods. So at that time, I chose Brussels sprouts and beets because they were always mushy.
0: Yeah. And have you learned to love Brussels sprouts and beets?
1: I love Brussels sprouts. Beets I like. Um, Uh I love like golden beets. Uh, I think Brussels sprouts are so easy to make delicious. Like I just don't understand how they did such a terrible job, how they botched them up so much, because, you know, it's literally one of the easiest vegetables to cook and make taste good.
0: Yeah. I find roasting Brussels sprouts really brings out the flavor and and is nice. But if you boil them in water or something, it's like, ugh.
1: yeah. And roasting's so easy.
0: Yeah. So did you, were you at this boarding school in England from basically like first grade until your senior year?
1: I was there until college. So, um, but I switched schools three times. Again, uh, I don't really stay in one place for very long, but I have been in New York City and married for 20 almost 22 years. So that's huge for me. I have had quite a few careers and, you know, different friend groups. I just like would get bored and go somewhere else. so I had I went to three different boarding schools because of my reason then was that the other the previous ones weren't academic enough so I would switch and then switch again. But you know that's really hard because you have to remake friends all over again and you know making friends in high school isn't like the easiest endeavor.
0: And so you did, were all these boarding schools in England.
1: Yes, all okay. different parts of England. Wow. Wow. You're making me emotional now talking no. about it. <laughs>
0: that's good it's good it's good it's good you know i mean i want to take a little bit of a walk down memory lane it's all right um so you you went to montreal for for college yes. right? i mean in montreal is that's quite the city that's like you know you speak you have to speak french there right they do french and english but it's very Both, yeah yeah it's, i think they call it like a a mini europe or something like that what are they called it really
1: them? is it feels like that the yeah. cobblestone streets and it's the lights it's beautiful
0: yeah i've always loved montreal what did uh, what was that experience like for you college in montreal
1: so again um, i was taking i planned to take a gap year when i finished my a levels in england i was going to take a year off but i hadn't told my parents that so they just assumed i was going to be going to college And when I arrived back in Jamaica, because they still live there, I said, oh, I'm taking a year off, so I'll be home. And they were just flabbergasted, like, what what do you mean? (laughs) And so um, they're like, no, 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 you're going to college. And McGill was the only school I knew of that would take me in January. Uh So this was a whole last minute plan. Um, So I literally applied in September or something and applied for January and um, got in, but I'd never been to Canada ever. And I had no idea about Montreal being cold. I mean, I'm from Jamaica, it's tropical weather. So (laughs) I landed in January, no one came with me. I landed in Montreal and my first thing that happened is my eyelashes froze, the tears just froze. And I was like, oh my gosh, this has never happened to me ever.
0: (laughs) Tears from crying or tears from the cold?
1: (laughs) I think both. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I kind of just threw myself in there and I have to say though, it was, I think my favorite place I've ever lived.
0: Wow. Well, and McGill is quite a university. I mean, that's a great school. It's got a great reputation.
1: Yeah. And I did pre-med, so it's really good for medicine and pre-med. Oh,
0: pre-med, which probably served you well since you became a dietitian, nutritionist.
1: Exactly. But I will say my first career was an investment banker.
0: <laughs> and, and, and that was where?
1: In New York City. But what happened is I did pre-med and, and then I realized like I wasn't probably going to be a doctor. So someone said to me, if you um, do economics and do really well, an investment bank will pay for you to move to New York City and you can live in New York City. And I was like, what? really? That's so cool. So I quit pre-med. I kept my biology major and I did economics in like a year and a half because after doing chemistry, economics was pretty easy. And I interviewed at several investment banks and lo and behold, I actually did get a job and they moved me here. So it was a great way to come to New York City. But a year later, I no longer worked in investment banking.
0: So. Is that is that, when, <laughs> is that when you became a second grade school teacher?
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> that was great too.
0: (laughs) Wow. And how long was that? Did that last for half a year or a year?
1: One, one No, I think I might've done the two year requirement. I think there was a two year requirement. I think I completed it. Um, but I knew then I loved education, like educating and I love, I always love food and I love chemistry. So I wanted to go back to school and it seemed the most natural thing for me was nutrition education.
0: And you got your master's in nutrition from Colombia. Columbia. Yeah. Wow. And then that led you to go to cooking school, right?
1: So, well, actually, when I was about to finish at Colombia, I had a baby and then I had another baby and then I had another baby all within three and a half years. So yeah. career took a, a hold. Um, I did finish my degree, though, about six months after the first one. And even though I wasn't you know, practicing, I was practicing because I was cooking every day and, you know, that is basically what nutrition is, you know? So I never really left what I was doing. I still read journals. I educated myself. I love what I do. And so I kind of kept, it was an easy career to keep um, at the forefront, even if you're not actually counseling people, you Mm -hmm. know, stay, you can still stay current in your own house. Mm
0: -hmm. Did you go to the Natural Gourmet Institute after your third child was born?
1: So no, it didn't quite go like that either. I always wanted to go to the Natural Gourmet Institute, but um, I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time because I don't think anyone would have looked after those like three kids born within three and a half years because it was pretty crazy. They at least on their own, and so I stayed home. And my mom never stayed home, so I think I. it was important for me to stay home, having never been stayed home for. Um, And so, you know, I devoted their younger years to that. And then I started the Instagram because that was something I could do for my house where I could, you know, sort of teach others about nutrition and eating, but I didn't have to leave home Mm -hmm. to do it. Um, And I'm not, I still am not a big social media person. So, you know, my kids don't even have social media actually and they're teenagers. So, it was a, you know, it's still a learning curve for me. Like my friends who are younger are so much quicker on like all the new things on Instagram. I have no idea. So they make fun of me all the time, but that's how I started the Instagram. And it was more just where I would actually go into little cafes or supermarkets and show people what's the healthiest options to buy or to eat or choose there. And then it turned into learning, um, how to take photographs by myself. And my mom bought me, um, a DSLR because she sell she used to sell Nikon. Yeah. In Jamaica. So that's kind of how it started. And then I decided to take a break off Instagram and go to cooking school.
0: And so that was when? 2018? I think
1: so. Everything's kind okay. of around yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, do you remember your first Instagram post on February 8th, 2017?
1: Was it like chia pudding? <laughs>
0: it was it chai chia pudding exactly oh wow. <laughs> chai well it's actually chai chia banana nice cream is what wow, it Well
1: you did your research <laughs> Oh yeah
0: i mean it was fun it was absolute <laughs> yeah yeah watching you you know when you got your first 1000 followers and then 100,000 i mean you're sitting at 435k right now so that's that's substantial It's funny color. it means
1: much less now than it did then I feel yeah. now it's, it's, you know, you've matured. It's been so many years. I think you're, um, the numbers are less important now than how many people you actually really help, I think. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh, amen to that. <laughs> yeah. We'll get back to Nisha in just a second. But I wanted to share a quick review we recently received on Apple Podcasts. And I love it because the subject line reads, aspiring whole foods, plant-based human. And it reads, I listened to all of the episodes while working from home, and now that I've returned to the office, I am so excited when a new episode is released and I can listen to it on my commute. It's my favorite inspirational whole food plant-based podcast. I'm not completely there yet, but it helps to keep me on track and my frame of mind in the right place. First of all, thank you for this lovely review. We love it when people take the time to share how the podcast has helped your life. Second, keep it going. You said that you're not there yet, and that's okay. Switching to a whole food, plant-based lifestyle is simple, but it's not easy. And my team and I recognize that which is why we have so many resources to help you on your journey, including our Plant Strong Coaching Program, which is designed to help you apply the principles of whole food, plant-based nutrition by removing all animal products, processed and refined oils, refined sugars, and excessive sodium from your eating plan. In addition, we will provide dozens of tools to elevate and accelerate your success while surrounding you with one fiercely supportive and nurturing community. Check it all out at planstrong.com Now through April 5th, take 60 bucks off our annual program. So keep it going my friends and let us help you. It's interesting. I wanna go back for a sec to your mother and your father. Because you talk about how your mother was a spam-loving woman that hated to cook and really did not enjoy vegetables. So it's kind of nutty to me that you've kind of landed in this place where you love, you know, fruits and vegetables. You love to cook. What does your mother think about what you're doing? She, She must be so proud.
1: You know they have pumpkin spice spam now. Sorry, I just thought that was so interesting. I sent her like a big photo of it. I'm like, "Look mom, they made it for you."
0: That's is crazy. Is she still yeah. doing spam or She is still
1: it- eats spam. Wow. I mean, actually thinks it's food. So.
0: Well, but didn't I, oh, that that that's remarkable. And didn't you mention, I think I read in your book that she I'm I'm assuming this isn't too much information because you talked about in the book, but didn't she also have to have some, some uh, like a foot of her colon removed? Yes,
1: exactly. Um, she did. And it's, I, you know, that was quite recent. And I spoke to her about it. I think something came up around it because she had to have a colonoscopy and they said, oh, it's it doesn't look amazing, you know? Um, and it was about a couple of weeks ago. And she's like, yeah, but I'm never changing what I eat. You know, I've made it this far. I probably have another foot to go and I'll be fine. You know, it'll okay. give me another 10 years. Or <laughs> she, you know, she just says, I'm enjoying my life. I'm not, I'm not going to change. So, you know, that's, oh. that's who she is. So I just have to accept that. But yeah. she, she, um, Every, I think I am what I am today because she actually encouraged me to do this, which mm. is interesting. She, you know, bought me the camera. She sent. She actually, you know, told me you have to go to cooking school. Like I'm making you go. She um, is a really my biggest supporter, probably. Wow. So it's interesting. And then my dad is probably my is a huge emotional support for me. But he um, always. Are they still together?
0: Are your mother and father still together?
1: Yes, <laughs> okay. Okay. they complement each other. Let's say uh-huh. you know they are so different, but they they actually have a lot of respect for each other. Now that I can really see it, you know, it wasn't like always okay. easy, but yeah. they they do really love each other.
0: So. Well, you and the thing that I mean, you said that your father loves vegetables, right? And the thing that uh, just like knocked me over about your father is that here's a man that can eat a banana with the banana peel. I've never, I didn't even think that was like possible unless you were a billy goat.
1: He's really something. I have to tell you, my dad is just a special person. He, you know, he grew up in Kannur in India and he had nothing. And he he would raid orchards and steal apples um, with his friends and he barely had shoes. And, you know, so growing up, that's, like was the food he'd find. There's fruit everywhere that he could just steal. So that's kind of like, you know, how he grew up. And he, um, you know, so vegetables were always and fruit were always a mainstay of his diet. And my kids, I remember when he did the banana peel thing. My kids, you know, were there and they just were mesmerized because he literally didn't struggle at all. It was like he's done this his whole life, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he's like, of course you always eat the whole food. So I think he took that literally <laughs> eat whole foods and he eats the whole foods.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I've heard of people eating like the peels of mango, but never. I do that it.
1: actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, the yellow mangoes, what are they? Um, the champagne. Yeah, I eat the skins. Actually, it's funny because my kids were watching me like two days ago, and I was like, "Yeah, they're slightly bitter. They're great. I just can't. It's so much work to peel them, and they don't taste that
0: bad." I've got one right behind me here. You Uh, should try
1: it. It's quite. It's good.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess I'll be sure to wash it off pretty nicely, and then um, do you just bite into it like an apple?
1: No, I sliced it, and then I just but I didn't peel the slice. Like I, you know, when you just cut the four sides off, so you just have the seed. Okay. Yeah.
0: I'll give it, I'll give it a whirl. I I do the kiwi with the, you know, the whole everything on. So,
1: so I have one kid who I, we eat kiwis almost every morning and I have one child who just makes me peel it for her. So I eat her peel because I know how good the peel is. So literally my bowl is full of peel too.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think what I do get from my dad is I can eat anything like bitter. It just, I don't, I have a very high tolerance for taste, any taste. It's a little unusual. Like my kids are always, you know, surprised.
0: Even eggplant. You like eggplant?
1: Yeah, I actually made some yesterday Uh, because I needed to do a photo. Yeah, there really aren't. I don't. I can't think of a vegetable that I don't like. I I really
0: yeah. How would how would you make me like eggplant? What dish would you make for me?
1: So actually, the dish I made yesterday. I don't know if I could show it to you in my book. It's a really pretty picture. Well, what, is, well, do, you know,
0: do you know what page it is?
1: It's the eggplant ratatouille. So it's like, well, a, so, it's in comfort you, food.
0: You go ahead and find it. I'm just going to. So okay. this is the book that Nisha has put together, Practically Vegan. Why is it called Practically Vegan? That's such a, uh unusual combination.
1: I have gotten so much flack around that. <laughs> <because> <laughs>
0: it mean it's like... like barely or almost vegan or practically vegan?
1: I know. I, I'm wondering <laughs> if I should really have gone with this name, but I, w- the way I meant it was um, when I was writing the proposal, I was like, these recipes, these recipes really are practical. Yeah. You know, You're using the same spices in different ways over and over again. You're using the same condiments in different ways over and over again. So You are never having anything gathering dust in your pantry. You are becoming really competent with those spices and herbs and and condiments because you're using them over and over again, and you're finding different ways to do it. So it's very budget-friendly. It's very practical. And you don't have to be completely vegan to enjoy them. You can be someone who wants to eat more vegan and practically vegan. So that's Um,
0: sort of... I think it makes a lot of sense, and I'm I'm actually kind of playing with you a little bit. No, I think I, I think it's a great title.
1: I really, mean,
0: yeah. <laughs> I do. I do.
1: I have been a lot of Instagram uh, followers of why did you call it that? Like, is it vegan? Is it not vegan? Yeah, um, it's a good conversation starter. Anyway. It is. Great one. <laughs> so this is the this is it's page nine one seventy
0: eight. Oh, okay, one seventy eight. Yep, got it. And so that's it right there. Oh, so the inverted ratatouille. Hmm. Yeah. There she blows. All right. Well, the next I actually time the- made that
1: yesterday. And right. I think um, it's eggplant, but you, uh, you know, you score it. So the flavor really gets absorbed into ah. it. And, you know, you always my favorite method, roast it. And then you make a whole kale and chickpea and with lots of spices sauce. And then when you take out the eggplant, you top it with all that, you know, tomato, kale and chickpeas. And it's great.
0: Yeah, it sounds good. I, I, I I would love to try it. So the way you were just talking right there and you, you talk about it in the book is one of the things you're always trying to do is build flavor. And I'd love it if you could talk about different ways that, people at home can build flavor to their plant-based vegan cooking, whether it's with, you know, spices, whether it's with herbs, seasonings, condiments.
1: So for me, um, I always start with aromatics, which is, you know, your ginger, your onion, your green onion, your red onion, white, yellow, whatever color you want, um, and garlic. And I think, uh, You know the amounts to me aren't always like written. It's sort of I eyeball it, Um, and I think once people make cook enough, they'll also that just comes naturally. So I I feel once you have your your aromatics, and then you you know cook that, and then you add spices, herbs, and you can either use fresh or dried. Don't beat yourself up because you don't always go and buy yourself fresh herbs. Just you know making your own plant based meal at home is enough, and. Um, then you, I have a lot of condiments like mustard, um, mm-hmm. different mustards, tamari, soy sauce, dark soy sauce, coconut aminos, nutritional yeast. So I have like a set, sriracha, a certain set that I play with, Yeah. Um, vinegars, um, vegan or- Worcestershire sauce. I can never say that word.
0: I know. I, I've got a serious problem with it too. Is Worcestershire? That's, I don't well,
1: know. Yeah, well, I need to practice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about Dulce Flakes?
1: Yes, I do have those too. I love those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even on popcorn. Right. So I, you know, I keep, I I basically have a set, which is in the book of spices, herbs, and condiments that I just always have. And when I do my grocery shopping, it's really easy because I just see which of those am I short of and buy my aromatics and then which vegetables I buy is not really that important because you can really use them all in these, right? Like they're pretty, the recipes are so versatile and the way I cook is very versatile. Like if you ask my kids, I never know what I'm making for dinner. I just, when I go to the supermarket, I see what's available, what's priced well, what looks fresh. You know, there isn't like this plan. The plan is that I need my aromatics, my vegetables, some kind of protein, some kind of starch and the condiments and spices that's it. And once I know, you know, Once I do that enough, I can just vary everything depending on taste.
0: A quote that I saw related to your book, which I think reflects very well on it, is culinary adventure meets weeknight simplicity (laughs) to make satisfying, simple and economical dinners. Uh, Where's that
1: from? (laughs)
0: Oh, gosh, I can't remember. You know <laughs> just,
1: more about my book, um, Out in the World, than I do. <laughs> I, I
0: saw it, and I, I was like, oh, I like that. That's good. But it, like it sounds too. like those are things that are very important to you. You know, the simplicity, satisfying. It sounds like you're very conscientious about uh, the price of things. And then, I mean, your Instagram handle is what, Cooking for Peanuts?
1: Yes. There's another play on words. I seem to just always go with playing on words for some reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about other ways to kind of um, elevate plant-based cooking, like beans and grains. Do you have a certain beans or grains that you love working with?
1: You know, it's it's funny because everyone's so focused on protein, like, oh, you're not going to get enough protein. Now it's very rare that you would not be getting enough protein. It's so easy actually to get protein. It's really fiber that so many people in this country are deficient in it's fiber. And, um, what's great about beans and the whole grains you're talking about is they're rich in fiber and protein. So, you know, I think that's what people should focus on more is fiber and that's, you know, lentils, legumes, that's where you're really going to get it. And you really don't need to think about protein. You're going to get protein. So I think it's, you know, an important point you bring up and everything, I think sauces and dressings like are key to vegan or any cooking. Yeah. And, you know, as long as once you master a few good dressings and sauces that you love, you can, you know, add them to most beans, most salads, like you know, great lentil salad with your favorite dressing and you just put tons of chopped veggies in it. And it's going to be great as long as you love the dressing, add as much dressing as you want, you know? Yeah.
0: And you have a whole section in the back of the book on sauces and dressings and hummuses and things of that nature.
1: So I do, I feel it's all about, you know, the sauce and the dressing. If you, you know, even for my kids, they'll eat anything if you've dressed it well.
0: I have a question for you on sauces and dressings. And, and for that matter, most of the recipes in this book, you, you use oil in your book, but you also mentioned that many of your recipes can be made oil-free. My audience is, for the most part, steering away from added oils. And so I'm wondering, in your book, is it easy just to leave out the oil? And if you do, do you need to substitute it with something else? Or does it depend on the recipe? <laughs>
1: Right. It, it does depend on the recipe. Um, I understand uh, the leaning away from oils because there are many other healthy sources to get those good fats from, you know, nuts and whole foods that are a great choice. So I do, I, I can relate to that. Um, I think when I don't want to cook with oil, I'll use vegetable broth or mm. coconut aminos or lemon juice, or some kind of balsamic vinegar, like for roasting, to add flavor. So, you know, you could just omit the oil and add some garlic powder, onion powder, and balsamic vinegar and roast, and it tastes great. So, and where you... you know, cook your aromatics, you can omit the oil and just use vegetable broth instead to add a little flavor to that. So that's, yeah. you know, in a lot of, I have a lot of curries and stews and, you know, soup, that kind of recipe, which is saucy and you can totally just use vegetable broth.
0: And I noticed in one of your hummuses, I can't remember which one it was, but you actually use an ingredient that I've never seen before in a hummus. And that was Baking soda.
1: It made the texture much lighter. Yeah. 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 It it just lifted it. That was actually, it's funny. That was one of the last recipes I did because I had a different hummus in there and I wasn't fully happy with it. I felt like the texture was still too dense and I wanted something really light. That's what I was imagining. And I actually sent it back to the editor and said, actually, I want you to replace it with this.
0: Nice. So you you mentioned Jonathan Saffron Foyer. Am I pronouncing that right?
1: Foyer, I think. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. He he um, he wrote the forward to your book. It sounds like you guys kind of bumped into each other because your kids go to the same school. Have you made any meals for him, or has he tried some of your recipes?
1: So how it all actually started is his eldest is um, has Instagram. Uh-huh. and you know they were a vegetarian for the longest while maybe since birth I don't remember and uh, he would make my recipes and I think that's how Jonathan found me actually was through his son Nice. and um, his mom also knew about me because you know when he was at his mother's he was making them and so he is so sweet like he literally will tell my daughter i made your mom's you know pasta the other day and i loved it and it's that that really keeps me like going it's just so endearing you know to hear and that's how jonathan learned about me and then he said to me if you write the book i'll write your forward and i never wanted to write a book um i really didn't i know the feeling (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, how do I turn that down? That's like once in a lifetime, I I have to write this book. And he was thinking, oh, you would just take all your Instagram recipes and you would just, you know, transpose them into a book and use your photos. But it went nothing like that. The recipes are not the same. They're almost all different, almost all new. And none of the photos are from my Instagram. So um, yeah, he set me up for a lot of work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we, we don't know what we're getting into, and that's a good thing.
1: Yes, good that's thing. true.
0: <laughs> well, in, in the book, it, it turned out so absolutely beautiful. The photography is magnificent. I'm assuming that you did not do that yourself with your no, I did not camera. Your mother bought you no,
1: <laughs> no. That, so that was part of the agreement, and I was quite happy to have a professional photographer, yeah. Dana Gallagher, who is amazing. Um, yeah, because uh, it took a it allowed me to focus on the recipes and not be stressed. She's, she's incredible. And you know, we did the photos in COVID and actually, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was stressful. Everyone was wearing masks. Do you meet in person? But I ended up going there to her studio every day and the food stylist one had, um, her father had passed away right before the shoot. So we had, we found another one who was incredible too. So um, it sort of worked out, but it was all falling apart till it wasn't.
0: <laughs> well, I'm very glad that you decided to write the book and put forth the, the, you know, the work and the energy that it takes to get this out into the universe. And you're going to be glad to. You probably already are.
1: <laughs> it's, it's sort of like a dissociation at this point. <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean when you really like work so hard on something for so long and then your job is sort of over of it you know you're kind of just observing now Mm -hmm. um so it's nice to be the observer
0: yeah well now you but now we're doing the marketing
1: (laughs) well actually today something because my kids aren't always the most supportive they're teenagers and um today my eldest was you know late for school but she was on her way to school and she sends me a text And she's like, mom, look, um, my friend's mom just found your book in South Carolina in a bookstore on the shelf. And she was like, I'm so proud of you. And she hasn't said that till now, but um, it was really nice nice to, you know, this is sort of the part that's so beautiful when you're, you know, your kids are like, wow, my mom really did something meaningful, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is really neat. I can remember, remember I was a firefighter and my book, The Engine 2 Diet came out. In 2009, and all these guys that basically thought that I was just a kook, right? All of a sudden, I'm on like Good Morning America, right? (laughs) And the Today Show, and all of a sudden, it's like,
1: "There's my boy! That's my boy!" (laughs) They definitely think I'm a kook, also. So I can relate. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Um,
1: that's amazing though, because at that time, you know, we were really kooks, considered kooks.
0: Oh big time. Um, you in looking through your Instagram feed and looking through your book, I think one of, one of the products that I see that you seem to absolutely love and adore, and you have a quote, you say, when life gives you, um, when life, when life gives you tofu, what recipe should I make? But I've seen more recipes with tofu. How much do you love tofu?
1: So, so much so that I actually have some batches of frozen tofu in my freezer right now, ready. (laughs) Um, You know, there's the whole myth of soy being, you know, bad for you. And I actually talk about this in my book and, um, you know, no study has found that to date. And I make a joke, you know, my husband's been eating soy for years and he still hasn't grown any breasts. I would know. So, um, you know, I feel I always have to people ask me that so much. And, you know, I think I just want people to understand that it really is okay to eat soy and tofu. Um, But yes, I do love tofu, because it's so versatile. It's like, you know, just goes with almost anything My one of my favorite ways to have tofu is to crumble it and make a bolognese. But the trick is to saute it really well first. So it has almost like a crunchy texture. Oh. And so, you know, if you crumble it really fine and you use a large skillet, so there's enough surface area. And if you're oil-free, just go with a very non-stick surface.
0: Yeah.
1: And if and what I would do in that case to be oil free is I would add a little coconut aminos aminos, because then you're caramelizing it almost. Mm-hmm. And so it flavors that tofu before you then go and use it and add it to the sauce.
0: Nice. Is that, and then do, are you using different spices?
1: Tons. Um, this recipe, that it, it's like paprika, chipotle, cayenne, chili powder, um, nutritional yeast, tamari,
0: those, garlic those, powder.
1: Are, it's no chopping, though. You do not have to chop one thing.
0: Yeah. No stitches. No
1: stitches. <laughs> I should do that stitch free recipe. <laughs> that's, that's right.
0: Um, and so, is that the spices that you're using? with the tofu, is it similar to what you use, um, when you're making your tofu beef tacos, like yes, the, exactly. the walnut meat? Yeah.
1: So what you'll find is you, you know, once you get the tofu meat down, you can use it in so many things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of, Oh, I'll use it in this dish. I'll make a soup with it. Like to add more protein, more good fat it's, yeah. or just make a more substantial meal. Once you just get that whole tofu meat thing down, you can use it in so many ways.
0: Yeah. And so you just mentioned that you've got some tofu in the freezer right now. That, that's a, a combination that I think a lot of people don't associate. Like, why would tofu be in the freezer? Right. And I've, I've been doing that for years and years and years, but you mentioned you do it twice. Yes. Right. You'll take it out, <laughs> thought and then freeze it again. What's going on with the freezing?
1: So food safety wise, I don't know if it's like the best thing, but I've not gotten sick yet. So, um, so what it is, is it just enhances it just like makes it even more spongy. I think what you're doing is the ice crystals are, you know, enlarging those spores or inside the pores, yeah. whatever, and the cells, sure. Yes. And then you're removing it and then they're melting and then you're putting back in and enlarging them again. And. So for some reason, it just intensifies that sort of spongy texture. Um, but, you know, you can just do it once. I just it's just fun for me to yeah. keep. Do- I haven't done it three times.
0: <laughs> and then do you find do you find that the way that you slice your tofu and the different shapes and patterns like triangles, rectangles, squares, cubes also like has an effect on the, the, the flavor and the, and the dish?
1: So I'm so tempted to show you this tofu because it's right there. Go get it. Go get (laughs) it.
0: Go go get it. Go get it. Okay. So for those of you that don't know, tofu is 40% fat, 40% protein. This is a first.
1: (laughs) Okay. So here it is. It's frozen in this container. I actually put it in the fridge this morning. So. I ended up again. I don't like to do too much work, so I didn't chop anything this time, and I literally just broke it.
0: Oh yeah, you sure did. Is this the first or Here. second time that you froze? So it? I.
1: This is the first. Um, can you see?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right there, we can see it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So it turns yellow.
0: It looks like but, cauliflower.
1: Yeah, it does. <laughs> so I, I. Basically, just broke it into chunks, and then what I'm going to do with it is I'm going to toss it in some seasoning, some nutritional yeast, and I'm going to air fry it. Oh.
0: So, does that mean you have an air fryer?
1: I do, and I don't use it enough. So, um, it's actually, yeah, it, I like my air fryer, it's a little cute Cuisinart one that, um, it seems less toxic, like the inside is yeah. more stainless steel. So,
0: um, I, I, do. Think a lot of, I think a lot of ovens these days you can put it on different settings like, you know, bake, convection, blah, blah, blah. And I'm wondering if that has this similar effect.
1: So should I tell you a secret? (laughs) I don't have a working oven.
0: (laughs) I did. I did
1: when I wrote my book um, because I wasn't at home. It was COVID. Um, But my oven broke in my apartment about two years ago and I haven't fixed it yet. But what I did do because I have, like, there's a whole other story behind that. But what I did do is I bought a Breville toaster oven, uh-huh. convection oven, and it's so good. It's just, it. the negative is you can't cook a lot of anything. So I'll have to do batches. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, if you actually don't have an air fryer, you can use that toaster oven. I use it for everything and you can just put it on the convection setting and it works exactly the same. And another trick um, I've learned is with chickpeas, people say, I can't get them crispy. They don't get crispy. So what I like to do is after you roast them for about 15 minutes, I put it on the broil setting in the toaster oven. I put it on the broil and I do it for like two to three minutes until it looks really crispy and it always works.
0: And then what do you do with those then now that they're crispy? Do you put them in salads or anything?
1: Anything. Yeah. Salads are, you know, a favorite, but even in like. I mean, you can put them directly into curries and stuff, but I kind of like when they have that texture first,
0: you know, when going through your book, like you were speaking to not only me, but all the firefighters that are out there that, that love pasta dishes and burger dishes and curry dishes and chilies. And you have a whole Asian fake out section. These are like hearty, wonderful, satisfying dishes. I want to go back to the curry. I am such a fan of curry, and but I don't use coconut. Instead, I'll use coconut extract. I don't use coconut milk. And so I think I noticed that it was your, I think it was your red lentil go-to curry where you don't use any coconut in there. If I'm not-
1: So <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Like you can really coconut- it's like used so often in vegan cooking, it's an overkill sometimes. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, so I find ways to give that delicious texture yeah. without coconut milk. And that curry, I have to tell you, every, anyone I've ever made it for loves that curry. It's gotta be one of the most cherished recipes I have. And um, the sweet potato, I think that's the one where I sort of blend the sweet potato, gives yeah. it that texture And it's delicious. It's really. And also another, um, I sometimes use oat milk, but you have to buy the oat milk that is like Barris. Is it Baris Barrister?
0: What's it called? Uh, Well, you mean it's the one that they use at uh, baristas?
1: Barista. There you go. My accent. Sorry. This is the problem with having lived in so many places. Um, Exactly. Because that one's much creamier. Yeah. And so that also works. Sometimes I do that. Yeah or cashews. I blend cashews and you just need a a very little amount. So it doesn't get overly thick. So I do that sometimes.
0: Nice. Do your your daughters love your cooking?
1: So it depends on the daughter. (laughs) 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 Um, My eldest is vegan. My other two are vegan, but they like cheese. So they eat cheese. Um, Uh They just really love cheese. They never gave it up. So Uh um, my youngest is an amazing cook uh, she cooked for us in covid and she was 12 years old mm. and i was working on the book my husband was working a lot too and she literally could walk into the kitchen look at what we have which is how i cook and just create a meal at 12 yeah. she's so competent she's actually a very good baker um she's a big mess When she does, and and she's very mindful, so everything she does is very slow. So if you want to eat at seven, you'll have to notify her around like four. You know, (laughs) Um, everything in life she does is like that. It's actually really beautiful to watch because I think so many of us have lost that. Yeah, you know that mindfulness. Um, The middle one is sort of could go either way, and my eldest, who's going to college this year, is. So bad in the kitchen. I mean, I think it's mostly, she's in, uh, incredibly intelligent. She's a chemist.
0: She's like your mother.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, yes, n- not at all, but maybe worse. She loves vegetables, <laughs> but she, like last night I said to her, Naya, you know, I was got home and I said, can you just cut some oranges for us? And she makes me peel them all, slice them really like. Mount bite size. And, you know, every day they come from school and I do that. I've spoiled them, I think. So when I tell her to cut the orange, she won't peel it. She literally just cuts a few slabs and puts it on a plate. So no one eats it because it just doesn't look good, you know? And so this is sort of her, this just represents what she's like in the kitchen, (laughs) you know, in everything. (laughs) So I don't know if it's that she's so smart that she realized she should fake incompetence to have everything done for her. Mm-hmm. Um, or she just sucks, i don't know
0: <laughs> it is amazing how each one of our children, your children, every child out in the world, is their own individual snowflake, right <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. really it's, are
1: snowflake's a great analogy yeah. because they are all different, and yet yeah. we think they're not, yeah. yeah
0: they are so different i I want to come back to another another um it's a soy, another soy product that I absolutely adore. A lot of people don't like it. And that is tempeh, which, I knew is, we
1: were fer- say that.
0: which is fermented uh, tofu. Because, I, yeah. yeah. No, because there's a restaurant in New York City. They used to have two of them. I think they only have one now. It's called Suen.
1: Yes, I love Suen. It's near my house.
0: Okay. And I, whenever I go there, I get this tempeh platter and they have the most delicious carrots and tempeh that just melts in your mouth. Yeah, so- I love that. Right. <laughs> and so you, you in your book, you have you, you talk about simmering your tempeh and it just made me wonder, oh, is that what they did at Sue Ann? Is, is that is that the, the, the trick?
1: So I'm so glad you brought up tempeh because um, I love talking about tempeh. It's actually going to be my next um, focus on Instagram coming up yeah. because I have an idea. But um, tempeh, once you... That's probably was my kid's least favorite food ever for a long time. And I now joke that I have three tempeh loving girls Uh um, because that to me was the biggest challenge is how to make tempeh taste good. And I really put a lot of thought into it and effort and I reworked it a lot. And so what I found, and recently we have now when we have it, they actually, and I'm not just saying it, they do really like it. Um, They didn't even know it was tempeh the last time. So Uh I know it's sad that I'm trying to make it not taste like tempeh, but it's okay. (laughs) So um, what I found to be best is to either steam it or boil it for like three minutes and then let it cool or not, but better to let it cool and then crumble it like the tofu, crumble it into small little crumbles and then saute it. Um, And then when you're sauteing it, So basically the the bigger surface area you can get on it, the more you can marinate, right? And season it. So you don't have to crumble it. If you wanna make tempeh bacon, you can do rectangles, but do it, um, you know, if you slice a block into four rectangles and then you slice each of those four into two or three, I would say go as skillfully as you can. I do three, Um, you know, take a little risk, just don't cut yourself. (laughs) Like I do. Uh, But the thinner and the more surface area you can get for your tempeh and then marinate it, the better it's going to taste because it's going to absorb it more um, if the surface area is larger. So either cut very thin rectangles and marinate it or crumble it and saute it with spices and aromatics and marinade. I
0: like it. And do you just do you when you buy tempeh, do you buy a certain brand?
1: I buy light life because that's just seems it's always available. And I, I, I like it seems to, but there are like, I think in Brooklyn, there are places that actually make it themselves like, um, more homegrown places. And I've heard it's amazing. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I think it's becoming a thing now fermenting, making your own tempeh. Yeah. Someone asked me if I do that.
0: And you don't, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: But I wonder what it would be like. You know what? I just had a thought. I wonder what it would be like to freeze tempeh.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't think I've ever seen. I, well, I should try that.
0: You need to do it as part of your Experimenting. For, foray into tempeh on Instagram.
1: I'm going to so try it.
0: Let's talk for a sec. And you you talk about beans and you talk about gas and, you know, how beans can make people gassy. What are some things that people can do to help alleviate that? or if they have a hard problem with beans?
1: So I think, you know, introduce them really slowly. If you're not, if you don't eat a lot of beans, don't just suddenly decide overnight, oh, I'm going to eat beans for lunch and dinner, or, you know, introduce them slowly. And then your body will build up more tolerance to that. Um, don't sit too close to anyone for a few <laughs> days. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. um, I think uh, definitely soaking them and making them fresh helps. I do that. Um, and, you know, how long, how long do you soak them? I soak them overnight, generally, um, you know, maybe like almost 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I soak them before I go to bed and then drain them before I'm going to make them and, you know, cook them. So I think that helps adding, I think I've had in kombu, like the seaweed when you're cooking them helps.
0: Yeah are you a, a bean snob? Meaning do you ever use canned beans or do you always make yours from scratch?
1: So I do both. I make mine from scratch mostly, but I do believe, and I really do believe that you have to do what's easier for you. Like if, if, you know, you're very busy and that's, you know, just do it, just rinse them, you know, rinse them if you're not using the liquid. But I think, um, you know, frozen vegetables are great. If you need to buy chopped stuff, that's already chopped, whatever's going to make it easy for you to make your plant-based meal, just go that route because basically you want to make it like, if it's going to be all the deterrents that you just say, you know what, forget it. It's too overwhelming. Then that's a much bigger loss. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You mentioned um, <clears throat> that you, you know, you love tofu, you love tempeh. Is there anything else that I'm missing that you love and adore as a
1: an ingredient that you want to mention? I think red lentils are the bomb because yeah. they are like these tiny little gems and they're so packed with fiber and protein like you would never think just looking at them and I love the color. I think they're really pretty. That's one of my favorite colors and they cook in less than 15 minutes. So whenever I'm I always have them in my pantry whenever I'm in a crunch. Like tonight, I was like, what am I going to make for dinner? Do I have red lentils? Then I know I'm good to go because they're so versatile. Just, you know, I can make almost anything with them. So um, that to me, they're a gem.
0: So you look in your pantry, you see you've got red lentils. What are you going to make tonight for dinner with those red lentils?
1: So I'm going to make a soup <laughs> cuz I have some sweet potato and some onion and ginger so I'm kind of going to just wing it. I'm going to probably flavor it more Indian like cumin, coriander I have, you know, and go more I'm going to take an Indian route. But I'm not putting any thickener. I'm going to make it a little more liquidy today.
0: Uh-huh. Hmm. And will everybody in the house eat that?
1: They have no choice, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: And and where's your husband stand in all this?
1: He has been on my journey, um, which has been really great because he, you know, occasionally he'll speak to some friend in the office and he'll be like, you know, my friend told me um, I'm probably not getting enough protein. And I'm just like, I cannot educate you on this again. Like I cannot do it. (laughs) I've been telling you this so many times. So occasionally he gets, you know you know a little convinced by others but then he he always comes back he's like but you know he doesn't eat meat and he is really he feels great so i think you know we do our younger yoga together we eat the same food it's it's good we walk a lot so i think i'm fortunate to have someone who cares about their health and well-being too
0: nice that's that's great that you guys have that supportive relationship you mentioned that yoga what what kind of yoga is that exactly what is it what is what's the practice
1: so it's a very um like the first kind of yoga that ever came to be it's the original yoga it was taught by bks Iyengar in pune which actually well they say pune i say pune because i was new pune from long ago and that's where my dad spent a lot of his life and this you know they have a big center in new york city near me so we've been going for years and years and what I like about it is, so they have various levels. I refuse to leave level one because I think there's no need to leave level level one. Um, it's so strengthening. And, you know, you're, you're doing shoulder stands. You even do a headstand if you want to, but a lot of it's based on sort of holding your position for a long time.
0: Oh, really?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, your arms are kind of out like this for so long and you'd be surprised how much like, Strength you gain under here, (laughs) and then you're doing like a warrior pose, and you know, so you're holding a lot of positions, (laughs) yeah, you know, for a long time. And it's like it's definitely increased my flexibility and strength and balance, like a lot. And it's a hard class, level one is hard, don't be fooled, or I'll do a general level. But I'm it's it's changed my life just in breathing, everything.
0: How many levels are there?
1: I don't know. I think there might be, maybe four.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I don't know. I never like. I just. I'm very happy where I am. Uh-huh. To me, it's not like looking what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Remember, I like to break rules, so I'm refusing to climb the level. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
0: nice. Nisha, this is this has been this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for for joining me on the Plant Strong podcast. Practically vegan. Woohoo. It's out there. You guys get a copy. You'll love it. Just, uh, remove the oil.
1: <laughs> easy to do.
0: <laughs> easy easy to do. Nisha, any, uh, anything else that you'd like to say? How can people find you all that good stuff?
1: I'm sure I have a blog, a food blog, cookingforpeanuts.com, where, um, there are a lot of different options. Some oil-free, gluten-free. Lots of ways to adapt the recipes, and you can print them. And at cooking for peanuts on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm starting TikTok, but I'm not very big there yet. So yeah, that's, those are the main channels.
0: Um, have you an um, Have you <laughs> bought Have you ridden on a bike yet this year? with a basket. I know that's one of the things you love.
1: Yes. And because of COVID, I, you know, I just, I haven't, I think I haven't fixed my tires yet because <laughs> it's sat here for so long, the bike, but you know what? It's come, the weather's getting good now. So that's going to be one of my goals for go. spring.
0: Are you able to ride it to yoga class?
1: I can. Cause they just, they just started in person. Nice and they actually moved to a smaller space but it's even nearer to my house so
0: yeah fantastic i'm going
1: to be going there soon
0: well hey you know what namaste
1: you too thank you
0: thank you thank you nisha for your stories recipes and real life example of living plant strong in a very busy world you can follow nisha on instagram at cooking for peanuts and pick up her debut book, Practically Vegan, which is out right now. Of course, we'll have all the links in the show notes. We'll see you next week. And until then, keep it playing strong. The Plant Strong podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kortowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Ann Kyle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.